Tonight, we're going to do one-to-one Bible reading as a means of discipleship. So we're going to talk about what is one-to-one Bible reading, because that question's on your mind right now. Why do one-to-one Bible reading? So why do it? How to do one-to-one Bible reading? And lastly, unleashing the power of the gospel through one-to-one Bible reading. So this message is based on this fantastic book, One-to-One Bible Reading by David Helm. David Helm is a a pastor, a theologian, and he also uh, founded the Charles Simeon Trust, which equips and trains pastors for better Bible exposition and understanding and preaching. So he's an equipper, he's a trainer, he's a pastor, and you can tell when you read this book, which I would highly encourage you to do. Amazon, super cheap, super thin, you can do it. But I'm going to give you much of this book and this message. So, one-to-one Bible reading by David Helm. So, what is one-to-one Bible reading? What is it? This is you, personally, sitting down with one other person, maybe two, max three, I'm going to say, and you are going through the Bible together. So, this is not you teaching the Bible to someone else. This is not you reading the Bible to someone else. This is you reading the Bible and the other who you're with or the other two or three who you're with reading the Bible as well. And you guys are together discovering what the Bible is saying. I am going to aim this message specifically though at people who are not Christians who you know And maybe people who think they're Christians, they would say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But you know, from their lifestyle, from their confession, and from their absenteeism from prayer, Bible reading, church, and anything of God, that their profession is just that, a profession. So this message is going to be geared towards you to target non-Christians and people who think they're Christians, but you know by their fruits they're not. So this is not necessarily you going to find your Bible scholar friend, sitting down with him, and then getting deep in the text. That's not what this is. It's not what the intent of this is. This is a means of discipleship by which non-Christians, by God's grace, can become Christians. So your neighbor, your mother, your coworker. Your good friend that you've been talking to for a long time, your coworkers at work, there's many, many people in your influence that you can do this very thing that we're talking about tonight. So what are we doing? We are opening up together a specific book of the Bible. I am going to gear this message towards the book of Mark, but it could be any book of the Bible. And what we are doing is we are chapter by chapter discovering together, together, who God is, what he's done for us in Jesus Christ, and how we can better know and obey him and be motivated by love for him. So listen, this is not a message for the scholars, for the teachers, for the in-depth Bible knowledge person. This is for every single one of you in this room. As I'm looking around, there's not any of you in this room who can't do what we're going to talk about tonight. So this is applicable to every single person in this room. Some of you will team up. We'll talk about that later. But this is for every single one of you in this room. So let's start. Some of you, I'm I'm anticipating thoughts right now. And so some of you are thinking, I don't know anyone who has questions about the Bible. Really? You don't know anyone who has questions about the Bible. I would just say most everyone knows a ton of people who have a massive amount of questions about the Bible, but you have not asked them if they have questions about the Bible, and so you don't know that they have questions about the Bible, but I can guarantee they have a ton of questions about the Bible. There's a research statistic I'm going to bring up later that uh, shows that people are dying for you to ask them. And because we're afraid... I'm going to be rejected, you're going to hate me, you're going to slap me, you'll never talk to me again, you'll think I'm a weirdo, you'll think I'm a fundamentalist, you'll think I'm a terrorist, I'm not even going to mention the B word around you, Bible, because I don't want the Bible to be associated with me. Listen, you know people 
who have questions about the Bible, and you need to ask them if they have questions about the Bible. Some of you are thinking, I'm not a Bible teacher. Well, guess what? This is not for Bible teachers because the goal of this, what we're about to go through, is not so that you can sit there, lecture for a half hour or 45 minutes your student about the Bible. That's not what this is. This is not a Bible study. This is you guiding someone through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and you two together are reading, together are discovering, and together are finding out more about God. I'm not outgoing. I'm introverted. Some of you are thinking this. I don't talk to people. It freaks me out. Well, guess what? Introverts can do this because it's not you and a crowd. It's you and another person who you already know. I'm not asking you to go out and go down Penn Ave and grab someone and say, hey, would you like to read the Bible? Now, if you want to do that and that works, do it. But that's not necessarily what I'm asking you to do. You you may have this person in your home right now. This person you may meet with every Sunday for dinner. This person might be in the cubicle next to you. This person might go have a cigarette with you on, um, on break. Though I know you're drinking water and they're having a cigarette. Right? Yeah. But the idea is you, you know these people already. You talk to them already. So the, the issue is not, oh, I'm, I'm not an extrovert. I'm, I'm an introvert. Well, you already know these people. You already have a relationship with them. You can do this. Okay? And some of you are thinking, um, I'm afraid to read the Bible with someone else because I am not knowledgeable. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know all the answers to all their questions. I don't know what to say if they ask a question. Well, guess what? You know what you can say if they have a question that you can't answer? That's a great question. I'll do some work to find that out. And then guess what? Now you have an inspiration and reason to do some study and some research, which is a very Christian thing to do anyway. Like accessible commentaries abound with clicks of a button for free. And even better ones exist digitally for like seven or eight bucks. And even better ones exist physically for maybe 30 bucks. Listen, you can do this even if you don't have an in-depth knowledge of the Bible. In fact, we're going to give you a guide. Uh, Here it is. More to come on this later. So we're not just throwing you into the water saying figure it out. Step by step, question by question, chapter by chapter, simple. You can do this. And and then here's the last one that I think that some of you might be thinking. Like, I don't got time for this. I I just, my schedule's so packed, I don't got time to be reading the Bible with other people. And and here's what I want to ask you if that's on your mind right now. It's not a time issue. It's a priority issue. Listen, if Jesus is serious when he said all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, so as a result or a because of that, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded, and I'm with you always even to the end of the age, then that means you have a command from Jesus to do this, and are you prepared to say to him on judgment day, I was too busy, Jesus. And then he's going to say, really, you were so busy that you played video games and you watched Netflix and you were on Facebook and Instagram and you were Twittering all the time and you were whatever else. But you didn't have time to make disciples. Are you prepared to stand before Jesus and try to make excuses like you were too busy to make disciples when it's the command? Friends, what we're trying to do here is pitch you softballs. And you got a huge weighted metal bat. Crank. Home run. All of you can do the things that we're doing. We've given you flip books. We've said, here's what to do when you walk into church. Now we're saying, you can read the Bible with one other person and let's see what God will do. This is all discipleship. This is not too hard for you. Okay, so I've tried to pull the excuse rug out from under you. I know there's more excuses floating around in your mind, but I've took some of the ones I think I would hear, and I've tried to dismantle those. So now let's do this. Why do one-to-one Bible reading? So why do this? Why do one-to-one Bible reading? Well, we have already said that Jesus commanded us to make disciples who make disciples. This is a fantastic way, method, to engage in disciple-making. People can discover for themselves 
the Jesus of the Bible by reading about him from his word. And you simply guiding them and reading with them, saying, I am in this together with you. Let us discover together. Now, here's the third reason why you would want to do this. You get experience in making disciples. If you've never done this before, guess what? Do it once with someone, and now you have experience. Do it twice with someone, now you have even more experience. By the third time, you're going to be an expert in this. You'll be able to take others along and say, watch how to do this. I've done this three times already. You'll gain experience. And listen, most people who are not Christians or people who say they're Christians yet are not affiliated with any type of discipleship, they have no idea how this is supposed to be done. So that if you start fumbling, they're not going to be like, oh, they're fumbling. They're not going to know one way or the other. They're not going to know if you're messing up. And, and isn't the beauty of Christian discipleship that ultimately the weight of it rests on God and not on us? It's not on you, ultimately. It's on him. So you get the experience. Now, some of you are thinking, I need to sit down and read the Bible. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I need someone to sit down and read the Bible with me, not me sit down and read the Bible with someone else. In other words, some of you are thinking, I, I need this to be done to me, not me to do this to someone else. And, and here's what I want to say if that's you tonight. From a teacher's perspective, you will grow far more faster and in depth when you're on the end of making a disciple than you are on the other end of receiving. You get far more when you have a somebody on the other side who you love and know and are praying for and want to see them become a Christian, and now all of a sudden they got questions, that's going to inspire you and motivate you to do your own study, to buy a study Bible perhaps, to go online, to listen to some sermons, to read, and you will grow like crazy because you're the one making a disciple, not the other way around. I can guarantee it. And anyone who's a Bible teacher who has taught the Bible in this room can tell you, you grow far more by teaching the Bible or by leading someone in the Bible than you do by being taught and just receiving. It's just how it works. You will grow tremendously as a disciple maker rather than just receiving. So don't say to yourself, I need someone to do this with me. You will grow far more by you doing it with someone else. Now, there is a really helpful, friendly resource available to read and use, okay? Mark chapter 1, 1 to 15. So this is all you would have to walk through in one meeting. How does Mark show us that Jesus is worthy of attention? What witness does Mark call upon to introduce Jesus and why? What is the message of Jesus, and how does it draw your attention to him? According to the passage, what has Jesus come to do? What is your own reaction to Jesus after reading this passage? Boom, you set up your meeting for next week. 45 minutes to an hour. You can do this. You're just reading through the passage together. You take five verses, he or she takes five verses. You take five verses, he or she takes five verses. And then you go through these questions together. You're not even the teacher. You're helping your friend and you walk through these questions. Couldn't be simpler. Okay. The most important reason to do one-to-one -one Bible reading is, listen, that the Holy Spirit works through the Word. The Holy Spirit works through the Word that He has written. So when you open up this Bible that He has written together... The Holy Spirit comes in, I've seen this, and He opens people's eyes right on the spot, and they see what they have not seen. It's happened to you. You're reading, and all of a sudden, you see what was there the whole time, yet you've never seen it before. What happened? The Holy Spirit opened your eyes. And you are giving this opportunity to happen every time you will sit down with someone, open up the Bible together, have them read it, have you read it, have them read it, have you read it, go through the questions to look into it a little deeper. The Holy Spirit then has the opportunity to move through His Word, which He does, and awaken. So this isn't me telling you you need to memorize all the pointed passages in Romans and then be able to give them in succession like the Romans wrote and then corner people and make them confess Jesus is Lord. 
and tell them they'll be in hell if they don't right now. It's not this. This is you sitting down for two months with someone and letting them discover Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work and not you be the Holy Spirit. You can do this. This is not intimidating. We're not forcing confession upon anyone. We're letting the Holy Spirit save people. And all you're doing is sitting down with people and walking through the text. Okay, let's go to number three already. I'm sorry, not yet, almost. Romans 10, 17. So it gives the Holy Spirit a, 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 an opportunity, if you will, to work. So Romans 10 in this middle section is all about if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9, and 10. The context is about people meeting Jesus. And it's meeting Jesus through the gospel. This verse 17 of Romans 10 says this, Faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, faith is trust. Whenever you see faith in the Bible, you can see trust. The context of the verse and the paragraph determines what the trust is in. So, faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? Hearing through the Word of Christ. The Word of Christ is the key to this passage. And when we say Word of Christ, that simply means the Word about Christ, which is the Gospel. When the Gospel is read and believed, faith happens. Faith is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this. I'll read it for you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith, how, do, how does faith come? So if we're not saved unless we have faith, grace alone, through faith alone, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? Through the word of Christ. Listen, God gives the gift of faith. Let me finish Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, so no one can boast. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, grace and faith, is not of your doing. It's a gift of God. Why? So no one can boast. So the faith that is in this passage, according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, is a gift. You cannot even believe unless it is gifted to you. Why? So that no one can boast, I have faith, you don't, I'm better than you. So faith has to be a gift from God. But this verse is giving us insight into how faith comes. Saving faith comes from hearing, hearing the gospel through the word. Listen, when you open up the Bible with someone else and they're hearing the word, the Holy Spirit can come in and create faith, life. We're talking about spiritual death to spiritual life. You know people who you don't want to go to hell. This is an opportunity for you to non-threateningly, simply, easily walk through the book of Mark with in two weeks, eight sessions. God has saved many a people through reading through the book of Mark. You know Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is what? The power of God unto what? Salvation for anyone who believes. Believe is synonymous with faith. So when we unleash the word, the Holy Spirit creates faith as the gospel is proclaimed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. For what? For salvation. For who? For anyone who believes. And how can they believe? Well, by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Okay. Do we get it? It's pretty clear, right? So the opportunity is here now to walk with one person, two persons, through a book and allow them to hear and enable an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work. And you know, of just a few verses down, Paul says, and, and how can they be, how can they hear if no one preaches? And if no one is sent, how can they preach? And the idea is people aren't saved unless they hear the gospel and believe. It, it, it's mandatory that people hear this gospel to believe. And God uses you to do this. All right, now let's move to how. So how, now here, here's, here's the very practical part, okay? 
We've done some of the theology. We've answered some of the objections. You now know what exactly we're talking about. So now here's the how. How are we going to do this? How are we going to coach you step by step to do this? Three simple things. We're going to pray. We're going to invite. And we're going to plan to meet. Okay, you ready? I'm going to read from the book now. This is very, very practical. This is very practical. Ready? David writes this. When God chooses to reveal himself to people, more often than not, it comes on the heels of seasons of prayer. Luke makes this especially clear in his gospel. The curious but not yet believing crowds were first told that Jesus was God's beloved son at a time when Jesus was praying. You remember that? He was praying. His new followers were called to him the morning after he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. In addition to those whom Jesus was training for expanded roles of gospel service, Peter, James, and John, caught a glimpse of his full glory at a time when Jesus had pulled them aside to pray. It's the Mount of Transfiguration. The first one was his baptism. The second that we talked about was his calling the disciples to himself. These are truths we should not forget. The gospel writer Luke doesn't want us to miss the fact that prayer is the instrument God uses to ready us for his revelation. To put the importance of this first step of prayer another way, as a consequence of prayer, people will come to recognize Jesus for who he is. They will learn what it is to be his disciple, and they will be equipped to serve him well. Do you remember the moment in Luke's gospel when it began when it began to fully dawn on Peter that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus had asked, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ, the Son of God. But don't forget, that famous encounter began with these often forgotten words. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he asked them. So they were at a prayer meeting when he asked this. And what was he praying? Probably that God would reveal to the apostles who he actually was. While God saves people through his word, and while he strengthens his people in faith through that same word, even to the extent that he trains us for faithful ministry by it, he nevertheless reveals himself as a result of prayer. One could almost argue that in Luke's gospel, whenever the gospel is seen to be taking root and growing, it does so in the soil of previous prayer. So we're not going to attempt to do this one-to-one Bible reading without giving a prayer praying about who you're going to talk to. If you already have someone in mind, if God's already bringing people into your thoughts, you need to begin praying tonight. In fact, we're going to take a time, just a little bit of time at the end here, to begin to pray for that person. Bathe this in prayer. Don't be like, I got this. I can do this. No, you can't do this. And if you do it on your own without the Holy Spirit, you're going to screw it all up. Don't be self-righteous and independent. Be dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Please, let's pray first. Okay, second, we're going to invite. This is the scariest part of the whole thing, isn't it? What am I going to say? How am I going to ask? Are they going to reject me? Will they say no? Well, let me read this. The second step to reading the Bible one-to-one is both the simplest and the hardest. Once you know who you want to ask, you must then ask them. It requires boldness. One gentle way to simply ask is... Would you have any interest in reading the Bible with me for a few weeks? That's pretty simple. Hey, just wondering, would you have any interest in reading the Bible with me for a few weeks? Yeah, sure. Really? Yeah, really. Okay. Plan to meet. Let me keep reading. Now, keep in mind that while asking this might be a scary thing for you to do, it may not be a scary thing for your friend or family member to consider. Don't project your fear onto them. If you're afraid to ask them, don't think they're afraid for you to ask them. They're probably not. In fact, one of the research statistics we're going to bring up in a second will prove, no, they're not afraid. After all, most people are more threatened when asked to attend a church service or a program where lots of people might be present, many of whom they've never met. Reading one-to-one is a more personal way to introduce somebody to the Bible. If the person you are asking is a Christian already, then you may want to add something like, I thought it would give us a chance to get together and learn from God's Word. And I would say this would be that nominal professing Christian we asked earlier. 
they're a little easier to ask. If they already claim to be a Christian, if they already claim to be the Bible, a Bible believer, man, you already have an in. In fact, the greatest hindrance to inviting someone to read one-to-one will be an unbiblical view that you are not ready for this. You will tell yourself that you haven't been properly trained or simply don't know enough about the Bible to help another person along the way. In fact, you may even try to convince yourself that someone should be initiating reading the Bible one-to-one with you rather than you initiating it with another person. It's a tempting thought, but it's also just not true. Any committed Christian is capable of initiating a good conversation on a biblical text. In reality, your fears in this area of personal work betray two screw-tape-like lies that every Christian must resist. Here's the two lies. First, gospel growth depends on us and our abilities. This is simply not the case. Our proficiency in the Bible is not the final arbiter in seeing spiritual growth occur. The Holy Spirit can and does use timid people just like us. Second lie we fight against is disbelief. Disbelief in the potency of God's word. We need to be reminded that God does his work in this way. And it is his word that accomplishes whatever he desires in the world. Be encouraged. Invite someone to read the Bible with you. Rest on the power of the gospel that is in his word. And know that in the power of the spirit and through the instrumentality of his word, God will honor your commitment to be in discussion with someone on the message of the gospel. After you've invited, plan to meet. After your friend or family member accepts your invitation to read the Bible one-to-one, set up a meeting time and get started. That simple. Three easy steps. Pray. Ask. Put down a date in your calendar. And listen, I know we're busy people. I know it. I'm busy too. But I have two people in mind. If the first person rejects me, I already have a second person in mind, and I got a third if that second person rejects me. I'm going to make time for this. Why? Because this is really important. That's why. This is more important than the next Marvel movie I want to see. This two hours I would spend with this person is eternally significant. I'm going to forget about the new Spider-Man after a couple months. And that doesn't mean I won't see the new Spider-Man. I'm just saying, if, if you're like, man, I ain't got time, but you got time for all this other stuff. What's the priority in your life? It's not discipleship. Don't kid yourself. Stop making excuses. You just don't want to make disciples. Or you're not afraid. And now, listen, it's not that you haven't been a little bit equipped. And I'm not being harsh. I'm just trying to challenge you. Okay? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Power, love, and self-control. All right, let's keep going. Page, um, I'm sorry. (laughs) I thought of this already. People do not want to meet with me and read the Bible. Some of you might be thinking that. Well, you're not accounting for what God is already up to. If you're thinking to yourself, people will not want to meet with me and read the Bible, you're discounting that God is not at work in the world unbeknownst to you. And you're also not accounting that God sovereignly ordained and made it be that you would be here tonight to hear this, be challenged in this way, and whoever's on your mind, do you think it's an accident? Like, you don't think God's already been working on this person that's in your mind right now? And he might want to, like, put you in their path to maybe even move the ball down the field a little bit. Like maybe you're not going to score the touchdown, but maybe he's going to use you to get a couple yards. Like if God is sovereign here, you're not in control. That's a good thing. He's at work. He's at work. Okay, and then secondly, maybe you're unaware of the research statistics, and and here we go. LifeWay does a ton of research. Ed Stetzer heads the LifeWay Research Committee. 79% of people agreed when asked this question. If a friend of mine really values their faith, I don't mind them talking about it. 79% of people asked that I agree with that. That's almost 8 out of 10 people, guys. That if they know your faith's important to you and you said to them, I'd like to read the Bible with you, that means 8 out of 10 people would say, sure, let's do it. 
Two said no, three said, hey, I'm not sure if I agree with that. Eight out of 10. Eight out of 10, that's crazy to me. Okay, this is a couple quotes from Ed Stetzer. He's a missiologist. According to the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism and Lifeway Research, among people who don't go to church, 79% don't mind their friends talking to them about their faith, and 73% disagree that their friends talk about their faith too much. 73% of people asked disagree that their friends talk about their faith too much. Why is that? Because probably no one talks about their faith at all with their friends. We talk about everything else. According to the same research, 71% of unchurched people say no or not sure to the question, has a Christian ever shared with you one-to-one how a person becomes a Christian? 73% of people asked, said, has anyone ever shared with you how to personally become a Christian? The answer is no. This is, guys, this is an easy, simple, non-threatening, step-by-step, laid-out way for you to share the gospel with someone you love and care about. You don't have to be an expert, and you don't have to have a gift of evangelism. We're encouraging eight weeks through Mark's gospel through this little pamphlet here, this little, we have a whole stack of them right there. You could take two, one for you, one for your friend. You could take two for you, two for a friend. And then fourthly, and we're done, we want to unleash the power of the gospel through one-to-one Bible reading. So John 5, 39 um, Whoops, I don't have John 5.39 in there. I have it in my, my text here. I apologize. Oops, I'm sorry. I skipped a ton of stuff here. My bad. Back up just a little bit. What to do at the meeting, and then we'll do John 5. Okay, I skipped a paragraph. So what to do at the meeting, boom, there it is. So you pray, and you begin reading aloud. So you're at the Panera Bread. You're in your living room. You're in their living room. You're at Starbucks. What's the first thing you do? You pray. You, as the Christian, you'd probably be the best person to pray. I have prayed with non-Christians before, and sometimes it gets awkward. It's okay. It's just, like, I'd like to thank you for the Holy Spirits in this room. I'm like, oh, that's not good. (laughs) That really happened. And I didn't rebuke the guy as soon as he was done praying. I was just like, that's not good. Theology there. Okay. Prayer and reading. You do the praying. And then listen, both of you do the reading. So you're not the only one reading. You're not the only one talking. You're not the expert. You're not the spiritual guru. You are guiding the Bible reading and question asking. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to move them to discover what's in the text. So you're not the Bible commentator commenting on every passage. Do you get this? It's not what we're doing here. This isn't a Bible study. This is a discipleship method by which you allow the Holy Spirit to move on them to see who God is as they read the Bible along with you. I want to keep making that distinction so we're not confused on what's happening here. Okay, so you begin reading the Bible together. Secondly, you talk together. Okay, let me read this quick passage from David. It's very important to employ the art of conversation dialogue on biblical texts. Please listen carefully. Uh, for, so, so here's a personal confession. Many of you know for years I did Bible studies. Like you'd show up and you'd listen to me lecture for an hour, 45 minutes, half hour if I was super late. I got good at lecturing, which means I talk, you listen. I have since moved on to see that's not bad, that's a good thing. But listen, it's not necessarily discipleship. Why? Because I'm not equipping you to make disciples. I'm just giving you biblical understanding. So I have not been able to articulate why that that didn't sit well for me for years, but this, what I'm about to read for you, articulates why I think this is a really good discipleship method. Listen close. It's very important to employ the art, art, of conversational dialogue on biblical texts. 
That doesn't mean you ask them this question. What does this mean to you? We're not asking that question. We're asking the question, what does this mean? And allowing them to discover through conversation. This isn't a truth's up for grabs, who wants to take a stab? It's not what we're saying here. Nothing will kill reading one-to-one faster than when one of the two partners monopolizes the time by pontificating on the text. You know what that means? You're the expert, you have all the knowledge, you're going to talk about 85% of the time, and they're going to talk 15%. It's not going to work. That's a Bible study. It's not one-to-one Bible reading. Or, worse, something other than the text. The remedy, of course, is to be as good a listener as you are a speaker. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak. The idea is the art of listening to someone's questions gives you insight right into where they're at rather than you just pounding them with the answer that you already know. You might be answering the question they're not even asking, friends. But by listening to the questions they have, you can enter their world and actually answer the question that's on their heart, and you're looking at the same text. Okay, let's keep going. Your reading partner will not be challenged or helped if you talk at them rather than with them. Not at them, with them. With them. You cannot coerce your reading partner into saying the right answers, especially if they have doubts. It is normal to doubt, especially if you're an unbeliever. You're already filled with doubts. It's normal to doubt. You can be a better guide in the discussion if you listen and acknowledge the doubts rather than brushing them aside or just jumping in with your own observations. As an aid, remember the questions to open-ended statements usually offer a good way to sustain discussion. Let me read that again because that's not just for Bible reading. That's for you in any conversation in a relationship. Listen. As an aid, remember that questions and open-ended statements usually offer a good way to sustain discussion. Open-ended, meaning you give them an opportunity to respond. Asking a question gives gives them an opportunity to respond. Listen, to me, this is a win. If they talk 85% of the time, I talk 15. And for some of you, that's going to be really hard, especially if they get a wrong answer, because you're going to want to theologically uppercut them and then roundhouse kick them in the face. It's going to be the temptation. But that's not what we're doing here. you, you got to think to yourself in that moment, okay, i got at least seven more weeks with you. I'm going to be okay. That's what you say to yourself in your head. I'm going to be all right. <sighs> okay, I'm okay. You can do that. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? There are some people in here who know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, if it's not a temptation to you, don't worry about it. All right, let's keep going, and then we'll move on. Also, don't be afraid. As an aide, remember, questions and open-ended statements are usually offer a good way to sustain discussion. The four most important words in Bible discussion are, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Also, don't be afraid of not having all the answers. It is not only possible, but very likely that in the course of discussion, a question or two will come up that you don't know how to answer. Don't be ashamed and don't try to come up with an answer on the spot in order to resolve the tension. If the question is truly important to your uh, mutual understanding of the passage, then set it aside to discuss at a future meeting. You can always consult study guides, commentaries, and even your pastor, gladly consult with you, on difficult questions. Okay? But one of the greatest virtues of reading the Bible one-to-one is that it allows people to discover faith in Jesus Christ for themselves. And giving pat answers to difficult questions does not help them do this. 
There is one more piece of advice when planning your meetings. Remember, never to be so driven in making a particular point or to accomplish some specific result that you miss out on being enriched by the joy of friendship. Man, enjoy it. This is one of the best gifts in life that God gives you the opportunity to share in bringing other people into his kingdom. This is a, it's a joy. Okay? Don't miss out on being enriched by the joy of friendship, mutual uh, support and encouragement. Trust that God is at work. Of course, the opposite danger also should be mentioned, of spending so much time chatting and sharing about life in general that you leave behind very little time for actual Bible reading. This is the art of um, just small talk. Like, oh yeah, it's, man, we got 15 minutes, we should probably jump in. I'm guilty of this. I, we end up talking, 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 and it's like, all right, so you can get to the point real quick, but you want to talk together, not you talk the whole time, okay? Application, this is very quick, just a few sentences. It should come as no shock that God's intention in speaking through his word is to change people's lives for the better. As we meditate on God's word, the Holy Spirit applies the passages to our lives, encouraging us as well as revealing sinful attitudes and actions. As we come to know God, we also come to know ourselves more truly. One practical thing to remember about application is that good application should always spring out of the text or the context. We shouldn't be trying to apply the Bible in ways that are inconsistent with the text itself. Okay, praying. Lastly, uh, fourthly, I should say, praying. You, you pray when you're done. Hey, let's pray. Let's pray about what we've read. And listen, you can ask, is there anything I can pray for you? Like I've been in countless meetings with other Christians um, where they've asked the waitress and waiter, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? We're going to pray for our meal anyway. Just an opportunity. Most people are not like stiff arm prayer. Most people will be like, yeah, absolutely. There's this and there's this. Hey, is there anything I could pray for you? I'm going to pray for what we just read. And, and boom, now you're at an even deeper level. Then you want to make sure that you confirm your next meeting. Like do it right there. Don't be like, hey, let's meet next week sometime. Okay, it's not going to happen. You know as well as I do, how many times have you and I said, hey, let's get together. All right. Never happened. You need to write then and there, put it in your phone calendar, put it in your whatever, your little notebook in your pocket. However you set reminders for yourself, you need to confirm it with the person right then and there. All right, now let's move to John 5. John 5, 39. Unleashing the power of the gospel through one-to-one -one Bible reading, and we're done, last point. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. So these were the, the religious... Jews of the day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the rabbis. And Jesus says, and it's they that bear witness about me. So Jesus is looking at Bible memorizers, studiers, teachers, Bible scholars, and he says, hey guys, don't miss the point that the whole thing is about me. It's not about, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? It's not about you searching out to see what moralistic things you're missing. It's not about seeing what examples you can follow in the pattern of Daniel and Moses and David. No, this is all about Jesus. And listen, if we miss him, we've missed the point of the Bible. So are we doing one-to-one -one Bible reading for one-to-one -one Bible reading's sake? Absolutely not. We are doing one-to-one -one Bible reading with the hopes that Jesus Christ will be discovered by the person whom we're reading with and by us in a more fuller way. Okay? So Jesus himself said, you can search the scriptures diligently and miss me. We don't want to be those people. Friends, we don't want to be the people that search diligently and miss Jesus. And, and I, 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 I couldn't resist but bring up one of the most fantastic examples of this actually happening in the Bible and God saving a man. Can you think of what passage I'm going to bring up? Huh? Ooh, you were close. One chapter earlier. 
Acts chapter 8. I'm just going to read this. I'm not going to expound it, so this will go fast. This is the Ethiopian eunuch. And if you know the passage, you know what happens here. This is happening in this passage. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, this is one of the seven deacons, one of the seven chosen assistants of the apostles in Acts chapter 6. The Lord said to, uh, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a, deserted, uh, a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So he, he had got a scroll from Jerusalem on his trip, which would have been very expensive. I mean, a handwritten scroll by a scribe? Oh my gosh. We're not talking one of the $2 ESV give-outs on the back here. We're talking wealth beyond imagination to purchase this scroll of Isaiah. And he's reading it on his way back. And the Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, said to Philip... Go over and join this chariot. We're going to do some one-to-one Bible reading, Philip. My, my uh, paraphrase there. Go over, join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? That's an open-ended question. And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? All we're asking you to do, guide the person. How can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Come on in. You ask, your friend says, come on up and sit in. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, and you know it's Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his, humili- in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. Pretty simple but profound. He opened his mouth, and now he's going to begin to speak. And beginning with this scripture, there's the reading. Beginning with Isaiah, he reads, and he told him the good news about Jesus. And so notice, beginning with this scripture, he went to other ones too. So this is multiple passages of scripture being read together. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. It's a crazy ending to that story, but apparently the Holy Spirit had other work for him to do, and he wanted the Ethiopian eunuch to get on his way to Ethiopia so the gospel could be spread there. But listen, all that happened here, friends, is the Bible was being read, Philip joined him in his Bible reading, and we have no indication of some traumatic life-altering conversion. But there was a conversion. He believed. And he so much believed so that he said, look, well, look, there's water. Let me be baptized. I mean, that's what Peter said on the first day of the Spirit's coming. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. And following the New Testament tradition in the book of Acts, baptism and conversion are synonymous. They're never separated, ever. We separate them 2,000 years removed. But to be saved was then immediately to be baptized. They're a both and. 
Repent and be baptized. So this man believes and is baptized. And obviously, you can say, well, how do we know it was a real conversion? Well, the Holy Spirit set the thing up. The Holy Spirit told Philip to go give him the gospel, give him understanding. It was a real conversion. <laughs> and this is what we want to see happen to our friends and our family members and our coworkers. Will you pray to this end? Now, we, you can go through Mark. Uh, that's going to be my suggestion because it's easy. Mark is 14 chapters. You could get through it uh, very easily. Now, this is only 1 to 15, and then it jumps to week 2. If you both are ambitious, you could say, hey, let's read the whole chapter before we meet, and then we'll specifically focus on 1 to 15. And then in chapter 2, it's going to focus only on 1 to 12. There's more verses in Mark 2 than 12. But for this guide's purposes... It's limited to not every single verse in Mark. However, Jesus can be discovered savingly if you will use this guide. Okay? If you want to get this book, there are all kinds of guides to all the different genres of literature in the Bible. Every single one of them, even the apocalyptic books, have guides in this little book. Okay? And there's ways and methods of reading the Bible together. But I thought for our purposes, what better way to just use the Gospel of Mark we can all be on the same page. And if this goes well for you and you want to do it more, come to me. I'd be glad to walk you through some other stuff. Glad to. Overjoyed to. But let's start here. So, uh, PJ and Vince, if you guys could come up, I'd love to get these into everybody's hands. Um, that way, hey, even if you're not going to do them, take at least two of these with you per person. Okay? And I would encourage you, please do this. I can't make you. But I would love to see God use us and you be trained and equipped by the Holy Spirit as you do this. And let's see what God does through us. Let's see what God does through us. We're going to celebrate communion. And we are going to celebrate that lamb that was slaughtered that Isaiah 53 spoke of, that John the Baptist pointed to when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is by the Lamb's blood that the Old Testament Israelites were saved from the firstborn of every household being slain. And so we want to remember the Lamb of God who was slain so that His blood might cover us.